Hello, everyone, and welcome to the False Nines. This is the 44th episode of a bi-weekly footballing discussion. I am your host, Zach Pensack, alongside my good friend, Adam Goffin. Adam, how are we today? Footy. The Bundesliga came back. Footy. The Bundesliga has come back. Did you watch the uh, uh, the Der Klassiker, as they call it, the Dortmund-Bayern game uh, yesterday? Uh, I didn't see the uh, Dortmund-Bayern game yesterday, but I did see the opening game of the season for Dortmund. And Guerrero looks like a heck of a player. That dude, obviously everybody's talking about Holland, but Guerrero, that's where it's at right now. That guy's scoring for fun. He is. Did not score in the match against uh, Bayern. Bayern winning 1-0 and pretty much cementing uh, an eighth title in a row um, on a gorgeous Joshua Kimmich chip, chipping it over um, Weigel for for that goal to give them the win. So it was actually a, a pretty exciting game to watch despite there being no one in the stadium. Cool. Yeah, I heard the result, but um, didn't, didn't, didn't see the game. Uh, if they're not going to lose to Dortmund, they're not going to lose to anybody else. So yeah, I'd say put Bayern's name on the trophy right now. Yeah, it's a seven-point lead with, I believe, six matches to go. So it's pretty much done and dusted as it always is. But um, enough about Germany. This is a Premier League footballing discussion, Adam. Uh, you know, some some new shakeups in the uh, in the potential sale of Newcastle in the last few days. Do you want to kind of catch people up on where we're at at the moment? Uh, yeah, there's basically not a whole lot of updates outside of it. This could all fall through still, and I think... Let's be honest, we all believe that that could be the case from the moment that it was first talked about. Um, so I know that we've been cynical and skeptical and we will not believe until Mike Ashley is seen walking out the door of St. James's Park. Um, but the one thing that came up this week that I think you're referring to is the um, the WTOs, the World Trade Organizations, un- unveiling that um, there was some sort of piracy uh, involved with how do you say it? is it biot 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 i think it's like biotka or something yeah something like that you anyway, know the short version of it is there is um indic there are indications that the um, saudi arabian group are some way implicated with piracy and if that is the case and they are found to be guilty of that that could throw a potential wrench or spanner in the works as we say in the uk um, for the sale of the club so we will i guess see what happens some point in 2020 when the Premier League finally makes a decision. <laughs> yes, I mean, that 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 is the most optimistic thing I've heard all day. It's uh, yeah, another complication in this deal. Um, uh, somewhat unsurprising just with the magnitude of how big, you know, the, the sale of Newcastle would be. Uh, but um, for, for the Newcastle, Newcastle faithful, just more stress points to, to take on the chin. So, um, you know, ho- hopefully it gets done eventually. I'm trying to bury my head in the sand with it somewhat, Zach, I'll be honest, because the, yeah. the more attention I pay to it, the more stressed out and annoyed I get by it. So I'm like, just somebody tell me when it's done or not yeah, done. I, I don't care. I I feel that. I, I've kind of gone back and forth on that. Like there have been periods of time because it has been going on for, I believe, around around three months now. Um, uh, there have been periods of time where I've straight away from any news sources but you know when i i think the way i'm doing it is depending on how well reputed the news source is it, that kind of dictates how much attention i'll pay to it so that that wto investigation being published by the guardian which is one of if not the most you know uh, recognized and, and respected newspapers in the uk so for that one paid a lot of attention something similar coming out of the sun might not catch my eye 
Yeah, I can I can see that. Yeah, the Guardian definitely has had good historically uh, accurate reporting on on a multitude of things. However, um, I would say that they're probably anticipating a lot of this stuff. The uh, buying party over there at PIF and probably have tried to get in front of it as much as possible. So we'll see. I agree. Um, I, uh, they'd, they'd be dumb not to, right? And they seem like they're pretty astute business people. After all, they did yeah. partner with WWE, which was a great, great business uh, decision right. on their part. And and so at about four and a half minutes into the episode, Adam has done his customary wrestling plug. I'm glad that we got to get that over with. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, that was, some, was that a Nature Boy homage that, that you just Nate. gave us? That was Nate. Yeah. There it is. Um, see, I got it. I got it a little bit. Um, but yeah, anyway, so for our episode this week, we are going to focus all of our attention on the Newcastle transfer. Not as much talking about, you know, the sale itself, but more focusing on the potential managers who might be either staying at Newcastle or coming in the door this summer. So uh, Adam and I, in preparation for this episode, uh, devised the list of the four names of, of the men who have been most heavily linked with the Newcastle job. So do you want to introduce how we're going to do this today, Adam? Yeah, sure. So um, thanks, Zach. So the managers that we have identified as either staying or incoming to Newcastle, based on press reports over the last couple of months since the um, rumors of the purchase started are, of course, his lord and savior, Steve Bruce, uh, Mauricio Pochettino, the returning, potentially, Rafael Benitez, and a little bit of a wild card new to the Premier League, um, Max or Maximiliano Allegri um, from Italy. So uh, of those people, two of them are currently employed, um, Bruce and Benitez. Two of them are currently unemployed, Pochettino and Allegri. So um, with those four folks, we're going to be going through and kind of identifying their relative successes or lack thereof um, as we go through the podcast. The first segment will be focused on their trophy winning pedigree. The second will be talking about their tactics and brand of football that they employ. And then really just to wrap it up, the upsides and downsides of each coach. Um, We'll have a little short segment um, that Zach's going to play and that he'll tell you about shortly. And then we'll really just give a grade on each of those managers overall and say who we might like to have take up the Newcastle hot seat come the 2020-2021 season. That sound good, Zach? Yeah, I'm excited for this one. This uh, A bit of a deviation from our normal player focus to going to the other side of the touchline with mm-hmm. the managers. So yeah, looking forward to digging into this. So uh, Adam, you want to start with, should we start with trophy winning pedigree? Yes, let's start with trophy winning pedigree. Do we want to start with the successful ones or the unsuccessful ones, Zach? Well, I think, uh, you know, in all due respect, we'll, we'll start with, let's start with current Newcastle manager, uh, Steve Bruce. And then from there, I say, let's go, we'll go Bruce, Pochettino, Benitez, Allegri. We'll just run that circuit uh, for each of our three categories. All right. Sounds good. So um, it won't take us long. Let's start with Steve Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. Uh, the only yeah, thing he's it. ever really won, Steve Bruce, is the <laughs> playoffs in the Football League Championship in 2016 with Hull City. Um, other notab- notable accomplishments to his name, he's won the playoffs um, in the first division. 
in 2002, which was then the championship. Uh, that was with Birmingham City. He's been the runner-up in the championship with Birmingham as well. He's been the runner-up in the championship with Hull City. And he's been runner-up in the FA Cup with Hull City. So zero trophies to his name if you take those playoff wins off the table with Brucey Boy. And in a career that spans how many years, Zach? 22 seasons. 22 seasons of management. It's it's not the best record as a manager, is it? Let's be honest. Yeah, it's 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 pretty appalling uh, to have never won uh, a trophy of any kind. And and no disrespect to the playoff final, I do understand that the level of um, kind of intensity that goes into that match. Some some call it the what the the most dramatic match of the season or the most expensive match in football um, in terms of the championship playoff final. But nonetheless, I, I would say that coming in third ultimately in, in the league does not, in my mind, count as a trophy. So, yeah, w- winless in 22 seasons for Steve Bruce, which is a pretty a pretty tough thing to look at. Yet somewhat apropos for a team that hasn't won a major trophy since the 1960s, though. I suppose that's true, but I, I think coming from Rafa Benitez, uh, as we'll talk about in a bit, it's it's truly night and day. Um, bit of a step uh, down to, for sure. Yeah, a bit a bit of a step down. We'll be respectful to Steve Bruce by by holding our words at that. But yeah, a quick run through Bruce there, and and from Bruce on to Maurizio Pochettino. So. Um, Interestingly enough, a, a similar situation. Ultimately, Maurizio Pochettino has not won a, a trophy as well. In a, a, it's about 11, uh, 10, 11 seasons of managing. But I, and I'll let you go first here. I think it's a bit more of a complicated issue with Pochettino as it is with Bruce. Yeah, I think so. If you look at kind of the teams that he's managed, he started his career with Espanyol in 2009. Um, obviously, at the time, the team wasn't like super... Um, super successful, and he actually finished his playing career with that with that team. Spent most of his um, career there, in fact. So played for them from 1994 to 2001, 216 appearances. Went back to them for a final 38 appearances to round out his playing career. So definitely a lot of kind of um, sentiment there, I would imagine, managing Espanyol. No success with the team. And then got his foot in the door. Uh, I do remember when he first came into the Premier League, he could not speak a lick of English. He had a translator mm-hmm. with him all the time. So quite an ambitious move for him to to move to a country to manage a team with that communication barrier. Um, so 2013, 2014, he managed Southampton. And then he spent, obviously, a well-documented five years at Spurs and was quite the coup when he came to Spurs. But um, as far as accomplishments, Zach, not really a whole lot. Um, Runner-up in the Champions League against Liverpool, um, League Cup runners-up in 2014-2015, and that's your lot as a manager for, for our friend. Uh, yeah, I mean, and, and that's where I think, that's kind of what I was alluding to when I said it, it's a bit of a complicated issue with him because, yes, you know, technically there's nothing in that trophy cabinet, but if, if you break it down a bit farther to what he accomplished with each club, I think he has had a quite impressive managerial career. So starting from the top at Espanyol, when, when he took them over, they were what I would consider a perennial relegation candidate. Um, he kept them in La Liga for three and a half seasons while he was there. So you know, you're not expecting to win a trophy when you're a team that's finishing around 16th to 18th every season. Right. Um, 
And then when he went to Southampton, only there for a, a season and a half, he came in in January of 2013. Um, but in his solitary full season with Southampton, the 2013-2014 season, he led them to an eighth place finish, which was their best finish in 11 seasons. So again, despite not winning a trophy, you, you would have to consider that short stint as manager of Southampton quite successful. And then on to Spurs. Spurs, obviously the most kind of, you know, complex of the of the three him having been there for uh, about five seasons um and despite not winning any trophies at spurs he's arguably the the greatest manager in spurs history he's the only manager oh he's the only he's the only manager in tottenham hotspur history to win 100 games in the premier league wow that's that's not spurs history let's be honest he, he is the only manager in Tottenham Hotspur history to lead them to the final of the Champions League. But he didn't win it, Zach. But I, but who who would you put above him then? And I, I'm not looking for you to, you know, reach down and give me all the list of Spurs managers, but I think those two statistics right there would label him the best manager who's ever managed a club. I don't know. I mean, uh, I'm looking at major honors for um, Spurs right now. Um, they've won the first division, what's well, now the English Premier League, twice. Um, they've won the FA Cup eight times, the League Cup four times. Um, they've won the UEFA Cup twice. They've won the Cup Winners' mm-hmm. Cup once. I mean, Spurs' history of trophy winning is some time ago, very similar to Newcastle's, but they've definitely not got an empty trophy cabinet either. So I think it's, it's a tough argument to say that somebody who came in and, sure, 100 games in the Premier League was more successful than somebody that basically filled that trophy cabinet for Tottenham Hotspur. Fair enough. So so then maybe the best Spurs manager in modern history or in, in Premier League history since the inception of the Premier League in the early 90s. But nonetheless, I would say, uh, you know, just looking solely at getting them to the Champions League final in the 2018-2019 season, doing that on uh, such a shoestring budget, uh, you know, famously or maybe infamously not able to buy a player for 18 months was pretty remarkable to me. So yes, Maurizio Pochettino's trophy cabinet is as barren as Steve Bruce's, but I think a little more silver lining and silver dusting on that trophy cabinet as well. Yeah, I think one person I'd give a shout-out to from a managerial standpoint from Spurs would be Harry Redknapp. Um, I think that he did a a decent job with them there. Um, Basically saved them from relegation um, way, way back in the day. Um, And then basically um, was linked with... um, Sorry, linked with the England job at one point. Um, And then it went to Roy Hodgson, obviously, and we know how that all went. Um, But, yeah, Spurs... Spurs, you're right, haven't had a great deal of success in the Premier League itself. So I could see you making a point that he's maybe the most successful manager in the Premier League era. I'll let you have that. All right. All right. All right. I'm glad we could come to a middle ground there. So from Maurizio Pochettino to uh, Rafael Benitez. Um, Adam, can we make an agreement here that we're not going to go down the list of every single award that Rafael Benitez has won (laughs) in his managerial career? (laughs) Well, I think um, just to to summarize here, I would say that Rafa Benitez for me has had a ton of success when it comes to um, knockout competitions and trophies. Mm -hmm. So Champions League, UEFA Cup, Europa League, Super Cup, FIFA Club World Cup, 
Um, won't tell you which teams those are with, but those are all competitions that are knockout based. Maybe they start with group stages, but certainly there's a knockout element to them. Um, and then um, as far as actual domestic leagues, the only one he's actually won is La Liga. And he won it with Valencia, believe it or not. Um, yeah. And that, that was something that jumped out at me when I was doing some research for this. Over the course of 38 games, however many games it may be, Rafa um, hasn't really had a lot of success. But where I think Rafa is really astute is in a one-off environment, in a one-single game, um, he has the tactical new and savvy to basically be any manager on his day. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great point. Yeah, I mean, domestic cups aside, it really is, uh, you know, the incredibly famous uh, Champions League victory with Liverpool in the 2004-2005 season that kind of cemented his legacy as a world-class manager. But um, you're right, it, it is that the the knockout type tournaments and and then in terms of individual awards he has been named as the the best manager in Europe numerous times by UEFA he won the European coach of the year the Alf Ramsey award in 2005 uh and then has also won uh the La Liga best coach uh in in 2002 back at the beginning of his career so i think that Rafa Benitez has been uh, lauded with uh, the plot, uh, the 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 awards and the recognition that that he has deserved uh, for a number of reasons throughout his career. Yep, he know he knows how to win. That's for sure. And on to our last manager, who also knows how to win, uh, Max Allegri. So just to kind of give you a little bit of a synopsis of his accomplishments as a manager, he's won the Serie A six times. Five, obviously, well known with Juventus. They can't stop winning it. Once with Milan. Um, he's won the Coppa Italia four times, the Super Coppa Italia, I have no idea what the difference is, three times, and he's been the runner-up in the Champions League on two occasions, one of which um, was actually against um, Real Madrid in the Millennium Stadium in Cardiff. My dad was there for that. Shout out to my dad. Ooh. That's pretty cool. And to answer your question, the Supercoppa Italiana is the equivalent to the Community Shield in England. So it's when oh, the winner winner of Serie A plays the winner of the Coppa Italia, which is the equivalent to the English FA Cup. So yeah, as you said, Allegri's uh, trophy cabinet, like Benitez, surely, uh, surely not empty at all. But um, as you would see, the majority of those trophies coming from his five seasons at Juventus, winning league every single season that he was there um and 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 similar to benitez has been awarded a, a number of those kind of individual uh recognized awards in in postseason voting so um allegri certainly a very accomplished manager in his own right yes failed to do the business in europe though with a team that good um kind of surprised that he doesn't have any champions leagues to his name um mm-hmm. but I, that might speak to the quality of the other teams like the real madrid's barcelona's liverpool's etc um, but also never managed outside Italy. I think that's going to be yeah. a, a big thing for him. Can he, can he replicate that same success elsewhere? Yeah, I agree. That's something I was going to mention later. Um, but yes, correct. That there, there has been a lack of uh, international success. Um, in my own opinion, I've always held the opinion that uh, managing either PSG or Juventus makes it a bit harder to win internationally just because uh, it's a breeze to win the league every season. So right. um, yeah, I suppose Bayern Munich has disproven that a number of times. They're going on to the, what will be their eighth uh, domestic victory in a row. But mm-hmm. nonetheless, I, I do think it's it's tough to keep the momentum going internationally when domestically is a walk in the park yep 
I, I wouldn't disagree with that. So, okay, so that's a kind of summary of the trophy winning pedigree or lack thereof of each of the managers. Um, let's move on to then, Zach, the tactics and the brand of football here. Um, we'll start with Steve Bruce. Um, in looking at kind of historic clubs that he has managed, Zach, he's really kind of varied between a 4-4-2 traditional British jumpers for goalposts, 4-4-2 formation. Um, and then really with Newcastle and with a couple of other teams, this 5-3-1-1, kind of playing with wing backs, having a good solid midfield, and then playing somebody in number 10 and behind a, a lone striker. Um, I would say he's been, I wouldn't say he's been more or less successful with either formation because as we just documented, he hasn't been super successful. Um, but specifically for Newcastle and his time to date, I think he tried to put his mark on the team initially when he came in at 4-4-2 and then realized that he just didn't have the the squad or the setup to really be able to do so. So I thought that was really, really interesting just to see how he adapted his tactics to really revert back more to what Rafael Benitez was doing at Newcastle than really trust his gut and and really make his mark on the team with, with the players that he brought in. Hmm. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a very good point. There, there was some sort of adaptation uh, that, that Bruce had there. But Adam, I, I want to, to take you back and wind back the clock to 2011. And this was when Steve Bruce was the manager of Sunderland, the newly appointed manager of Sunderland at the beginning of that season. Um, and when asked by the media um, if he would be looking to alter the traditional what's called the Christmas tree formation that that Sunderland had employed for a number of years. Steve Bruce responded by saying, and I quote, you know, I'm not really into tactics. And, <laughs> you know, I, I think that this I has become bring that one up. this is <laughs> this has become a, a quite famous kind of, you know, badge of dishonor for Steve Bruce throughout his the last nine or so seasons. And I think that, you know, it's fair enough to say you can take that comment in a little bit of jest. You can take it with whatever size grain of salt you want. But I do think that it does somewhat translate on the pitch um, and maybe not with formations necessarily. But I think where Steve Bruce heavily, heavily lacks in uh, tactics is his inability to adapt um, during a game. So when, when you know, we saw this time and time again with Newcastle this season, when things were not going well, when we were looking at 32% possession with zero shots on goal at halftime, it seemed as though Bruce had never had a plan B. There was never any sort of way to deviate or to kind of micromanage uh, with matchups specifically. And I think that's where my big criticism of Bruce comes from is the inability to to really be able to look at a specific matchup, certain players and alter any sort of game plan accordingly. Yeah, I think that that's a good point. When you think about comparing him to Rafa Benitez in terms of how they played at Newcastle, I would, I would defend Bruce a little bit in the... I would say that Rafa wasn't really well known for having large amounts of possession either, like to play on the counterattack. Um, what I think the difference is, is Rafa knew how to change it up. If we were not doing well in a game, um, he knew how to change tactics, formation, um, bring on the right substitutes to potentially get us back into the game on occasion. Sometimes we're just blown off the park because they're better teams in the Premier League. Um, but that's the main difference for me between Bruce and Rafa is that Rafa could change a game. Bruce doesn't really seem to have that knack about him. No, and well, and yeah, I, I think that's kind of you know why Steve Bruce is is 
either fairly or unfairly kind of viewed as a bit of a lower level manager is it that's what it takes to be a world-class manager right is your ability to make those in-game changes uh if if I, I think maybe that's kind of the perfect transition, maybe doing Rafa Benitez second in this list, mm-hmm. um, switching him in poach for uh, for this specific category. But what makes Rafa Benitez such an amazing manager is how good he is at those match-specific tweaks. And uh, again, harking back to something I mentioned before, nothing epitomizes that more than being 3-0 down in Istanbul against Milan in the 2005 Champions League final when he was managing Liverpool going into the locker at halftime and being able to, you know, make the changes necessary to initiate that that historic comeback. Um, and that obviously not doing things of that magnitude since then with Newcastle specifically or uh, either Inter or Chelsea, but you still see that out of Rafa Benitez. The ability that he has to make those minor tweaks and the vision he has to see what needs to be changed even as a game progresses. Yep, exactly. I, re- I read an article... Um, talking about from Matt Ritchie talking about Rafa Benitez and just how um, from a celebration standpoint from a um, emotion standpoint he after whatever the game is you know crazy comeback for a win or you know a, a loss he always comes back comes in and says great effort today lads on to next week um, and that and that's his reaction every time there's there's not as much emotion there necessarily and I think sometimes that helps when you're not as tied emotionally into the games, or at least not showing that with the players, it relaxes them, makes them a bit calmer, um, and he can get his message across a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think drawing a comparison to American sports, he he kind of is the Bill Belichick of European football. That that ever stoic look on on the face, and you're right, the ability to to kind of keep everything composed and and really compartmentalize any issues that are going on or anything that needs to be done and and making the necessary technical changes to come out victorious. So I think that's where Rafa Benitez is so good in terms of his more kind of, you know, tactics in terms of the the gameplay. I would say that Rafa is so known for his defensive style, as you mentioned before, uh, you know, never never really a possession style manager, but the whole thing with Rafa is playing defensive, playing organized, and most importantly, playing disciplined, staying in your position and and doing what needs to be done in order to achieve the desired result. Yep, I think that's a a great summary for Rafa. Okay, on on to Mauricio Pochettino then. Um, He, like Rafa, uh, is most famous for playing a 4-2-3-1 formation, but unlike Rafa, has uh, a reputation that is more of an attacking-minded manager absolutely would you you say that's fair absolutely yeah attacking and also high pressing Mm -hmm. yep definitely demands a lot from his players in terms of that high press to your point um and i think you know when when you look at the the players that he plays with um he shows a lot of faith and confidence in in the younger players to to come in and do a job for him whereas i think maybe a rafa um, relies a little bit more on some older heads there, um, at least historically in the positions that we've seen Poch manage in the Premier League with with Southampton and Spurs. Yeah, no doubt. I think with Spurs, he really kind of established this identity um, as as being a a building from the back type manager. Uh, so somewhat in the 
in the form of you know a modern day uh i, I don't know but, uh, kind of uh, in a way similar to Maurizio pochettino or uh, excuse me um uh uh, Pep Guardiola, uh, you know, playing through the spine of your team, giving the ball to those center defenders and and progressing it up the field. Uh, and Whisper specifically, Pochettino did a great job with uh, Jan Vertonghen and uh, Toby Alderfield being able to do that and, and progress the ball up the pitch through that center of defense. Yeah, and giving his creative players a lot of license to be creative. I mean, um, you look at Hyungman Son, right? Pochettino was the manager that made a success of Hyungman Son at Spurs, right? You can say all you want about um, about Mourinho and um, how well he's played under Mourinho so far, but I think his best days to date were under Pochettino. Um, and I think that he, part of that was just giving him the freedom to be the creative player that he is, the attacking, flowing player that he is, pushing forward, not being afraid to take a shot. He got the best out of Deli Alley in that role as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I'm gonna, so, Adam, if you don't mind, I'm going to draw another American sports comparison here. Uh, say that Maurizio Pochettino is is kind of in, in the form of a Phil Jackson-type coach uh, and in the way of letting the players play, you know, to, to the ability that best suits them, letting them flow and letting them kind of be their own player within this more, you know, cognitive and comprehensive team system. So let me ask you this, Zach. If Pochettino came in tomorrow at Newcastle and was able to manage Alan St. Maximin, how many goals do you think we'd see from Alan St. Maximin next season? It depends who else is on the pitch, but I think at, like easily double digits. You think he'd get the double figures? Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, okay. I, I certainly think that that would be the case. Wouldn't we love to see that? When was the last time we had a double digits player in our team? Oh, it, it must have been. It must have been. Oh, it was. It was. Uh, I believe it was Loic Remy. Is that right? I think so. Yeah. Yep. Wow. I'm. I'm almost positive that's, that's embarrassing. That's the case, but yeah. I digress. Um. Okay. All right. So. So from Poch on to our last uh, manager for the tactics uh, part of our podcast, we're going to talk about Max Allegri here. So, Adam, as you mentioned before, a manager who has only managed in Italy, um, the only of our four who have never managed in the Premier League. So kind of a bit deeper look. Uh, but I think that where Allegri shines is his ability to be extremely versatile as a manager, not really a manager known for, uh, you know, a trademark formation or two. Yeah, he's had a variety of formations. He does like to play with a flat back four. And of the four managers, all three of them at times have played that 4 2 Three one formation. The only exception, classic four four two. Steve Bruce <laughs> doesn't really like the four two three one formation. But Allegri actually is the only manager of these that has um, fairly frequently in his career played a four three three formation. So with three up top, um, that attacking brand of football, specifically for Juve, I think was um, very successful for them in the amount of trophies that they were able to secure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think that you know when. It, whether it be Higuain or Dybala or Quadrado, that you know they always had attacking uh, players in depth at uh, Juventus during his time there. So um, I, I think credit where credit is due, it, it does take a really really impressive and skilled manager to be able to uh, change a formation uh, pretty frequently depending on what players are available. And I think that Allegri did that quite successfully, especially during his five seasons with Juventus. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, when you think about the brand of football that he has, um, he just breeds a winning mentality. 
in into his teams and um that that would be something that would be very curious to see in the premier league whether it be at newcastle uh, there have been rumors about manchester united when Solskjaer wasn't doing well earlier in the season so either way um, i hope that we get to see allegri in the in the premier league at some point even if it's not with newcastle mm, i agree with that i think that's yeah that would that would be it'd be really interesting i mean there's you know besides um i'd say you know besides uh, Ancelotti and uh, who, who are some other uh, very successful Italian managers in the Premier League? Sarri was there for just a few years. I mean, it would be cool to have another big name come out of Italy. Roberto Di Matteo, my friend, Champions League. I was winner. thinking, I was thinking Di Matteo. Yeah, a small sample size, but he was quite successful with Chelsea, that's right. so that's fair enough. Mm-hmm. Yep, um, Gus would tell you his favorite manager in Chelsea history. Yeah, that he has said that. Wow, good memory. Yep. Um, yeah. All right. So, so Allegri's tactical uh, versatility aside, uh, let's go on to our, our third and, and final section here for evaluating the four managers. We'll talk about the upsides and the downsides to each manager. So kind of a, a bit higher level, this can obviously incorporate things that we've mentioned in the last 30 minutes or so, but, uh, yeah, would love to hear, hear you break down starting with Steve Bruce, um, you know, the, the positives and negatives that you see for each of these potential candidates for the, uh, Newcastle job next season. Let's start with the downsides. I want to end on a positive with Steve Bruce. Cause I think overall he's done a pretty solid job this season for the tune with, with what he's had at his disposal. So downsides, We've, we've mentioned all of these. Tactically, I'd say inept. It's pretty harsh, but um, doesn't believe in tactics. Um, and no trophies <laughs> in 22 years of management. That really kind of sums up the downsides to Steve Bruce, right? He's a unambitious appointment for a team with ambition, um, is how mm. I really summarize that. Yeah. Um, and then on the upside front, I would say, you know, he's a, he's a local lad. He has passion for Newcastle. That's clear for everybody to see he wants to do well uh, he still has a lot to prove I think not just from a managerial standpoint but also from a Newcastle manager standpoint uh, and I'd say the one really really good thing about Steve Bruce is his man management he seems to be very popular in fact I read an article today talking uh, was Alan Hutton talking about um, when he managed him on two separate occasions most recently at Aston Villa and what he said was he's the sort of person that whose door was really always open you could call him you could text him you could go stop into there and he basically would have this have this kind of like um how do you how do you say it basically he's very transparent he has this kind of Mm. attitude of just like nothing's a secret around me ask me whatever you want and if i know the answer i'll tell you if i don't um, then I don't. Um, and I like that. You know, there's there's been a lot of reports coming out that Newcastle players on the current squad are very keen for Bruce to remain even if the acquisition goes through. And I think a large part of that is down to the man management side of things. Yeah, I think that's a, a very fair, uh, you know, qualities to, to give to Steve Bruce. And I agree with you. You know, I, I was quite negative about Bruce throughout the season, but ultimately he has done a, a, a pretty good job with what he's been given has it been attractive football absolutely not and has it been frustrating absolutely but yeah uh, we've talked about the lack of tactics um we've talked about this kind of inability to adjust i i think one of the one other thing i would mention with steve bruce is he he really only has managed smaller or lower level clubs so the experience to be under the microscope and and being in the media's eye is not something that i think he 
you know, has proven that he does terribly well with. But yeah, upside's extremely likable. He's from the area. Um, and he is, uh, you know, fantastic with players. Th- that being said, I think that in a way, you know, his ability to connect with players could be viewed as both a blessing and a curse. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I think what a lot of people consider to be a core characteristic of pretty much any world-class manager is the ability to be connected with the players, but also, you know, for there to be that kind of clear, uh, you know, power structure as I, you know, I might be friendly with you, but I am the manager and you are the player. That kind of, you know, superior and subordinate feeling. And I think that that, can at times be lost on Steve Bruce and opted instead for this more buddy buddy and and kind of equal level uh, playing field that that he creates at the club. Yeah, I think that's that's a fair criticism. I would say just kind of summarize on Steve Bruce. Nevertheless, um, when you consider what he's been able to achieve as a probably lower league manager managing his dream team, his the team that he's supported as a a boyhood supporter, he's come in and he has. I hope kept us in the Premier League based on where we're at right now. Depending on obviously if the league the league finishes or not, um, we're we're very hopeful that we will survive. And if that happens, Zach, he should be given a lot of credit for that. Regardless of the brand, the style of football, had he not done so, and we were in a position now where we're in the bottom three, there might be a good chance that this deal wouldn't go through. If we were getting relegated this season, as far as being acquired by the Saudis. There's a there's a fairly good chance that they wouldn't have been pushing through for this deal. The fact that he's got us there, I hope he gets a great send off when he finally leaves the club. It's a very savvy point. I, I think that's that's very poignant. Uh, and um, yeah, you know, however long his reign as Newcastle manager will end up being, it you know it's it's a it's a positive look back on in the future. Uh, so, it's almost like one of um, us taking charge of the of the Newcastle team, right? Just a dream <laughs> job for us. So yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so from Bruce, do you want to go to Pochettino next? Yeah, let's do Pochettino. Why don't you go first? I, I, I hit Bruce first. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, again, things that we, we kind of touched upon here um, I, for upsides for Maurizio Pochettino. Um, he, he's a young, he's an exciting manager, uh, had success at the end of his time at, at Tottenham Hotspur. Um, he, he's managed in the Premier League before, obviously, with two clubs now. So despite his you know, horrid English when he came over about eight years ago, he now not only has a grasp on the language, but also a grasp on how the Premier League operates and, and kind of, you know, the nature of, of the league. And then uh, I, I think that uh, talking about man managers, I think that Pochettino is recognized as one of the best man managers in the world right now. Um, the the ability he has to kind of get the best out of his individual players and motivate them. And then, as you said before, Adam, uh, really where his kind of you know prestige comes from is his ability to develop young players both through the academy or actually just looking into the local talent um which is a bit of a level deeper and seeing the the top talents there so harry kane got his start under Maurizio pochettino pochettino kind of took a risk by replacing uh roberto soldado with kane um and then obviously harry kane's been wildly successful since hyung min son after his time in germany Deli Alley coming from MK Dons. Uh, the list kind of does go on and on. So I think that's the thing that excites me most about Maurizio Pochettino is he has proven time and time again he's really, really good at developing those young talents. Yeah, I think that's that's great points. And if we were to be acquired by the Saudis, I think that's going to be really, really important. Having 
the youth team having some homegrown players um, because we will we'll be limited on the amount that we can spend in transfer fees um, and we obviously have to increase the revenue generation. I think that by doing so, Pochettino is actually a great fit for, for Newcastle in terms of where they find themselves right now if the deal goes through. Mm, yeah, I agree. And I don't know about you, but I I don't have any downsides listed for Maurizio Pochettino. There's nothing about him as a manager that, that scares me or worries me at the moment. I got two things. Um, so I'll, I'll throw in my, my two cents here. So the first one is uh, zero trophies. We mentioned that. No, no trophies to his name. Uh, and I think that, you know, when you look back at his reign there, I, I don't necessarily feel as though um, the Champions League final against Liverpool could be viewed as a failure. I think they did remarkably well to even get there in the first place and to hang with a much more talented Liverpool team, I think was, was a great achievement. Where I would lay some criticism at the door of Pochettino is there was never a better chance for Spurs to win the Premier League than the year that Leicester City won it. And I yeah. think when looking back at that, that was a gift and they blew it. Um, they had chances, they had games they dropped points in that they shouldn't have done, and I feel like that was his biggest chance to win a trophy there, and the biggest trophy realistically in, in English football is the, is the Premier League. So I'd say he laid some criticism at his door there. And the final thing I would say is, Zach, and let's not, let's not forget this, there's a reason that Mourinho came in. Pochettino allegedly lost the dressing room at Spurs. That worries me. That that's fair. I, I I question how much of that is true, though. I, I mean, there were there were certainly issues between him and the upper management at Spurs, namely Daniel Levy uh, and Maurizio Pochettino um, seem to have a bit of a frayed relationship. So uh, I, I kind of take that with a grain of salt. I, I don't know how much I believe that the, he really lost the dressing room. But, you know, all fair criticism and uh you know, I think that ultimately it will make him a stronger manager, especially that loss of the league. I, I think that that could be ultimately beneficial in the long term for Bacchettino. Yep, agree. All right, on to um, Rafa Benitez. Um, I talked a lot about him. Why don't you take him and I'll take uh, I'll take Allegri to finish up. Oh, okay. So for Rafa, Rafa is a tough one because, uh, you know, the the manager that we got to view manage Newcastle for a number of years. Uh so starting with upsides, he obviously has the connection with the city and the fans, which for Newcastle being this isolated club up north and a one-club city is so important to everybody on Tyneside is being able to connect with that manager. And I think that um, you know nobody would argue for a moment that Rafa Benitez was a beloved man during his time at Newcastle. Um, Key is a hugely respected name, and I think that's important, uh, not only with new owners, but when trying to recruit players from around the continent, you know, top-level players, having uh, a man with the pedigree of Rafa Benitez is quite important. Um, and that's something we talked about before, just an immensely experienced in both domestic and international scenes. So I, I think that a lot of positives for Rafa Maybe the only downside is, you know, he, he is quite stuck in his ways in terms of the tactics that he employs. And I think that one, one of the big dreams that uh, us Newcastle supporters have had over the last month or so is, you know, maybe if we get bought out and are able to spend quite a bit of money, we could finally, for the first time in what seems like five or six years, be an attacking style team. And I'm not sure Rafa Benitez would be the manager that would lead a terribly attacking style club. Yeah, that's probably the main downside I see in, in Rafa. Obviously, there's plenty of upsides to him. Um, he's shown he's somebody that 
uh, knows the city, the fans, and can manage the expectations of both. Um, but I, I'd add one more downside to him. He's had some notable fallouts with players throughout his career. Most, most recently and notably, I would say, is Alexander Mitrovic. Um, Rafa is, like you said, stuck in his ways. Once he makes his mind up about something, he's very, very steadfast in his belief that he's not going to give that person another chance. And Mitrovic is a prime example of that. Now, he may not be wrong with Mitrovic. Mitrovic has hardly set the world on fire in his career. Um, but I, I just feel like sometimes Rafa is very quick to make a judgment and a snap decision on certain things um, and, and maybe doesn't give players the time that they deserve if there is a little element maybe of attitude there as there was with Mitrovic yeah I think that's a very very fair point and you know even going as far as saying a bit of a criticism of the Spanish manager uh okay so on to Allegri again the one manager we have have never seen manage in the Premier League uh was that one of the downsides that you had listed for him yeah I think so um obviously he's not managed any European trophies either. I'd say one big thing that um, I, I would add in there, and, and this has been a mixed bag for me. We've seen certain managers where it's made a big difference and certain managers where it hasn't. We talked about this with Pochettino, in fact, earlier, is learning English to be able to speak mm -hmm. the language when he comes in. Uh, in doing some homework on this, I found since he left Juventus, he's actually been making an effort to learn English. If that isn't a testament that he's looking for a job in the Premier League at some point in the near future, I don't, I don't know what is. Uh, but that uh, communication issues might be a, a big thing for him. You know, are we going to see a sorry situation where he's not able to, you know, really get his message across as well as other managers have in the past? I don't know. Um, but onto the upsides for Allegri, I would say this guy knows how to win, and uh, in addition to that, he knows how to manage big players and big personalities. Ibrahimovic at Milan. Great point. Ronaldo at Juventus. Mario Mandzukic has got a heck of an attitude too at, <laughs> at Juve. Um, so I would say, you know, if we're planning to be the sort of team that wants to attract the big name players, he's attracted them in the past and he's managed them well in the past. So um, I'd say that's a huge upside for Allegri. Yeah, I, I, big personalities, I think, is a very, very important thing to look at when, when you're talking about the manager. Um, yeah, Juventus alone, like Leonardo Bonucci, mm -hmm. uh, Giorgio Chiellini, you know, these these guys who are very, very well-respected players, and he did do a fantastic job managing that club. So I, I think that's kind of an understated quality to, to have in a manager is the ability to kind of deal with those personalities and still run a, a quite tight ship. So I think, you know, that's a big upside. Um, and the other, as we talked about before, just very experienced, um, very, very versatile. So able to kind of, you know, manipulate his gameplay on a week by week basis. But I, I do think that aside from the language, I, I think that just having not managed in the Premier League and, and dealing with that style of play, it does kind of take a bit of a learning curve. And I think we've seen that with a number of managers who have been successful in other countries, but have come in and had to kind of find their feet um, dealing with that slightly more physical, a bit more gritty style of play, and also the, the weather issues that there constantly are in England. But uh, in terms of his, you know, his CV, I don't think there's a lot you can criticize on Max Allegri. Yep. I think it's a, a great, great summary there. Nice job. No, thank you, Adam. Nice job, you as well. Thank you, sir. Now, you provided me with a lot of good knowledge that I did not know previously, so I do appreciate that. That's what we do, my friend. Let's not get too sentimental here, though. 
<laughs> we did promise that before the pod we wouldn't get sentimental. <laughs> um, so be, before we hop into a commercial break, we do have uh, a, a little kind of special segment here. So, you know, week by week, it is typically Adam and I going back and forth on our opinions. But we wanted to, to bring in uh, another voice uh, for judging these potential Newcastle managerial candidates. So um, I, I called up uh, another member of the coming home Newcastle family, a frequent contributor to the site, Graham Bell, uh, the local lad, the Jordy himself. Friend of the and, pod. And I asked, friend of the pod, a true, true friend of the pod. Um, and I asked him to just give us his opinion on uh, these four managers. So not done in the same format, but uh, I'm going to send it over to Graham to, to kind of give you a, a quick, about a minute, minute and a half review of the four managers that we talked about today. Hi lads, thanks for having me on the show. It's great to be a part of it. Um, just to start off with the the man who's actually in the hot seat at the moment, Steve Bruce. Would he stay on under under new ownership? I, I cannot see it to be honest. Um, he said he would love a crack at it, and I'm sure he would. Um, you know he's a he's a Newcastle lad. Um, say what you want about him, he's passionate about the club. He loves the club. Um, he's a Newcastle supporter, you know, but that doesn't make him the right fit for this football club. He's a lovely bloke, um, but he's not good enough as a manager to take this club forward um, on, and on to the next level where this club will be under the new regime. It's a completely different level to what Steve Bruce is used to managing. You know, with all due respect, he's he's uh, he's used to managing you know lower level clubs, and that's not where Newcastle United are going to be under the new regime. So for me, he he will see out this season, you know, pending whether that goes ahead or not. But after that, he, you know, he the the new owners will want to bring someone else in. There's no doubt about that. And deep down, I think Steve knows that. So on to um, on to Rafa Benitez. Um, it would be a fairy tale um, return, really. He knows the area, knows the club, knows the fans. Um, and what struck me about Benitez um, during his first time here was he took time out of his busy schedule to get to know the area, not just the club and fans, but visited, um, you know, he visited various places um, when he first joined, and I, I felt that that spelt volumes, um, you know, about his character, he was all in, he, he didn't, he didn't shirk the challenge at all, he, he put everything into it, I feel like he's, he's done that everywhere he's been, and he's just a phenomenal manager. Um, he's fantastic. You know, whether it's been in Milan, Napoli, or Liverpool, of course. You know, he's got plenty of Premier League experience, and it's a case of like unfinished business at Newcastle. Um, I really think he would be delighted that Newcastle would be under new new uh, ownership, and he would be chomping at the bit to to take over and. And take this club forward. Um, I, 
I think he would relish the chance of being the first manager in a long, long time to to bring silverware to, to Tyneside. Um, I think it's written that he would return and I th- I don't think the new owners would um would be making a bad decision if if they did bring Rafa back um because like I say he knows everything about the area and that's what's needed um because he wouldn't need sort of like a a, a kind of honeymoon period I suppose wouldn't need a bedding in period he would come in and he he already gets it so he could just you know start straight away just all guns blazing really and I think he would be the best fit for us now in terms of Maurizio Pochettino I think he's a he's a fantastic young manager people forget what a really good job he did at at Southampton um and then on to Spurs he did a cracking job there too um I think it was unlucky not to win something at Spurs um you know, he got to the Champions League final last uh, last season, um, but he got he got Spurs playing some really decent football, um, attractive to watch, and you know he would be a good fit for Newcastle, um, but people are saying that obviously he hasn't won anything, and I think that's I think that's quite wrong to to kind of um, disregard him because of that. Um, you know, he he is a really, really fantastic manager and I think he would get the best out of players. Um he's he's got a great eye for detail and he he reminds me of Rafa Benitez in a in a way. Um, you know, he's very hands on. Um but would he come to, to Newcastle? You know, that's that's a different story. Um it would be a great coup for the club. No doubt about that, um, but it just remains to be seen whether he would come up here after being down in London um, for quite a while and being down south in general. Um, but if he if he does want that challenge, then obviously Newcastle United. There's no bigger challenge than that, is there? Um, and Max Allegri, um, I think to me. Out of all the choices, he is the the wild card. Um, I'm not sure how his English is. Um, don't don't count me on it, but I don't think it's actually that great. Um, and that that can be a hindrance when you're walking into a into a new club if you don't get the language straight away. Um, you know you see it in players all the time. Um, but the same goes for managers. Um, he he did a great job in Italy. Um, it, there's no doubt that he's a fantastic manager, but not for me. Um, I I don't think he would be a good fit for for Newcastle personally. Just out of the options that have been given, uh, personally, I I think he would be, um, probably bottom of the list with Steve Bruce. I'm afraid. Um, he it, for me it's between Rafa Benitez and Maurizio Pochettino. Uh, no doubt about that, but Allegri is a is a fantastic manager. But for me, he's he he's not the right fit for Newcastle United.
All right, awesome. Thank you so much, Graham, for chiming in there. I will hope to have you on the pod, uh, maybe on a live recording sometime soon. We'll try to make up for that time difference between Denver and Newcastle. But uh, yeah, from now, we'll, we'll take a quick commercial break. And when we come back, we will uh, go through Adam's favorite section, middle names, and my favorite section, 10 and 90. So be right back. All right, so we are back again for the final two sections of the episode. And Adam, you, you promised me a bit of a, a, a European-style middle names this week. I'm not sure exactly what that means, as it seems as though most of our middle names have been European-style. <laughs> well, it's not the players themselves that have the uh, European-style middle names this week necessarily, Zach. It's the team that I've chosen for you this week. In fact, we mentioned them earlier on when talking about the Champions League final that Juventus lost under Allegri. Uh, it's Real Madrid that I've got for you this week, sir. Oh, okay. So all current Real Madrid players, I, I would assume? That is absolutely correct. So five players. If you haven't heard this segment before, I'm going to give Zach five middle names of players, famous players, on, in this instance, Real Madrid. And he has to tell me who he thinks that middle name belongs to. Ready, Zach? Yeah, let's go for it. Let's do it, my friend. All right, we're going to start with Michael. Michael. Gareth Bale? Is incorrect. A little bit tricky, this one. Eden Michael Azard. Ah, interesting. Okay, yeah, those Belgians, you know, they incorporate every every language and culture in their country, so I like That's that. Right. Yep, no, not Michel, but Michael, in fact. So. All right, um, second one here for you, Mostafa, M-O-S-T-A-F-A. Mostafa? Oh, that could really be a myriad of, of different origins. <laughs> Mostafa, 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 Mostafa. I can give you a clue mm. if, you, if you'd like one. Yeah, sure. Uh, striker, been at the club for several years. Kareem Benzema. Kareem Mustafa Benzema is the yeah, correct a, a, answer. Of uh, Algerian descent, I believe. That's right. Yep. Yeah. He um, plays for the French national team, but he's French Algerian. That's right. There you go. Yep. All right. Frank. <laughs> Frank. Um, Frank. Who would be named Frank? Is it. Tony Cruz? Three words for you, Zach. Wales, golf, Madrid. Damn it. I, I knew it. I knew it. And I don't know why I tried to be outside the box with that guess. <laughs> I was Gareth surprised, actually, Frank that you went, you went that route. Gareth Frank Bale. That That's is absolutely a, his name. That is a, that is a dry-sounding name. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty boring, but what, yeah. a, what a player. Love to see him okay. on the tune. Oh, yeah. All right. Um, next one. Two middle names for this gentleman. Okay. Nicola Mark. Ni- Wait, say that again? Nicola, N I C O L A S, Mark, M A R C. M A R C? Yes. Oh. So that makes me, that makes me think France. Oh, um, ding, ding, ding. Okay, don't give it away here. <laughs> Is it Raphael Vron? It is not. Is I'll, it, give, I'll, I'll let you have one more guess. Go ahead. Wait. Oh, wait, has Raphael? For, yeah. Um, Nikolai, Nicholas, 
Mark. Um, you used to play in the Premier League. I'll give you that clue. Um, I'm gonna kick myself when I when I don't get this one. Jeez um, Louise, I'm I'm failing at the moment. Uh, I don't know. For for sake of time, do you want to just give that to me? Thibaut Nicolas Marc Courtois. Oh, so not a French player. Okay. Oh wait, he's Belgium. That's right. Sorry. Yeah, you tricked me there. I did. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I, okay. right when you said it, I really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, that, sorry, that is simply not French true. name though, Zach. French name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> all right. Well, I'll, I'll give you your last one here. Hopefully, you'll get this one. Xavier. Can you spell that for me? Uh, the Americans would say Xavier. Oh. It's spelled the same way. Yes. Xavier. Um. Hmm. Would you like a clue? Sure. You've already thrown his name out there as a suggestion for an answer. Okay, Veron. Correct. Raphael Xavier Veron. Ah man, I think I would have got that if you didn't if you didn't mislead me (laughs) with the country of origin. (laughs) Sorry. Yeah, there's yeah there's a lot. Lots of French sounding players playing there at Real Madrid, I guess. <laughs> That's funny. Okay, All right, fair enough. I I went over five, but I feel like I did slightly better than that. Yeah. No, you did. No, you got um, Kareem Benzema. I gave you a clue on that one. That's true. That's yeah. true. Okay. Give that, that, was, that was a good one. That was good. All right. All right. Middle names done for another week. I'll be thinking of some torrid ones to give you next time as well. <laughs> Looking forward to it yeah okay all right nice um all right 10 and 90 we'll we'll close it out um adam do you want to go first or second this week uh i will go first this week i have a theme okay. for you if that's okay yeah it always is okay stadiums is my theme zach Ooh. and specifically english premier league stadiums oh let's go all right I feel like i could do well on this i feel like you'll do okay with this one yeah all right very simple one to start. What is the current largest stadium in the Premier League? Uh, um, the London Stadium. Incorrect. What? Really? Well, is one it? More, well, one more guess. Yeah. Is it? Oh, I really thought it was the London Stadium. Um, is it Tottenham Hotspur Stadium? It is not. The largest stadium in the Premier League is Old Trafford and ah. has an attendance. Zach, mm. would you like to stab a guess at this? I'll give you 5,000 either way. So 58? It's 75,643 oh, for Old wow. Trafford. Yep. Big Theater, stadium. Theater, Theater of, of Dreams. Dreams. Yeah. Yep. Wow. That was almost an echo there. Yeah, All right. <laughs> Question number two. <laughs> Smallest stadium in the Premier League. Mm. Currently. And actually, in fact, the smallest who have ever had a game played in it. So it's a current team, but also smallest in Premier League history. That's an interesting one. Um, Let me think of who is at the bottom. Or no, is it uh, where does is it wherever Sheffield United plays? I can't I don't I can't remember the name of their stadium. Is it is it their stadium? Sheffield United? It's not. Oh, okay. Is it then, hmm, Mm-mm-mm. I don't think it's, it's not Kara Road. No. It's not Although Villa that is Park. a small stadium, it's a bit bigger. 
Villa Park's yeah. a good size. It's like 30,000, 40,000. Yeah, that's what I thought. I'm just trying to think of teams at the bottom of the table. Um, I'll, I'll give you the um, the capacity of the stadium. It's 11,364. Jesus. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, a seventh of the size of Old Trafford. <laughs> that is wild. Is it is it the Amex? It's not. Uh, all right. All right. Uh, near and dear to my heart, there's your last clue. Okay, it's wherever Bournemouth plays. <laughs> it's Dean Court. It absolutely the Dean is Court, yeah. I, I was trying to think of the name of that, and I was like, it might be it might be the Bournemouth Stadium. That's yep. wild. That is tiny. It's a really small stadium, huh? Huh. Yep. Okay. All right, question three. You're you're doing far worse than I thought you were gonna do here, so let's yeah, see if you can as my. <laughs> see if you can improve here on question three. Uh, what is the oldest stadium in the Premier League? And I'll give you a little hmm. bit of a clue. Okay. Um, the stadium was built in 1855. It became home to its current team in 1889. Is it St. James's Park? No. 1892. Shame on you. Yeah, that is, that is fair. Let's edit that out. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it became home to... Is it Anfield? No. Okay, one more guess. Um, I'll give you another clue. You've already Fine. mentioned it so far in 10 and 90. Um, okay. Uh, I'll go with uh, Carrow Road. No, it's Bramall Lane, Sheffield United. Oh, no, darn. Yeah, I am really all over the place right now. Yeah, and you actually were the one that gave me Sheffield United stats a couple of pods ago, so I would expect that you to have known that one. Mm, that, I, I hate to hear it. <laughs> uh, stat for you on that it's the oldest major stadium in the world still to be hosting professional association football or soccer matches Whew, that's a, that is a very cool statistic yep Bramall Lane my friend there you go learned All something right. today yeah I did alright this one hopefully should be an easy one for you what is the newest stadium in the Premier League Tottenham Hotspur Stadium you're absolutely right and founded <laughs> in which year 2018 2019 2019 one of the yeah. one of those go. two years <laughs> yep. there you go you know your you know your recent uh, past very well uh, good job Christ yeah all right final question um I'm gonna do a little bit of a an interesting one for you it's a name the stadium for you Zach I'm gonna give you three clues uh if you get it on the first clue I'll give you three points for this one second clue two points if you get on the final one, I'll give you one point, and you'll go home with your tail between your legs. You ready? All right. Yes. Okay. I am the only stadium in the Premier League with a capacity that is a multiple of 10,000. You get one guess. <laughs> um, uh, the Etihad. Incorrect. Okay. On to question two, or clue two, I would say. I opened my doors in 2016. Um, um, 2016. Let's go. Yeah, is that the Olympic Stadium? Home off. Or the or the, the London Stadium. It is the London Stadium, okay. home of the Hammers, West Ham. Final clue was formerly played their games at Upton Park. So two okay, points yeah. for you there on that one. Well done, that, sir. That, that would that would have been a that would have been a an, an easy one on the third. Okay, I, yep. I I'm glad I I could save a little bit of face at the end there. 
Good job, buddy. Are you ready to um, lose that face with another Walsh word for you? Yes. Let's go. Let's let's throw it all away. Fantastic. All right. Um, so Zach, need you to say this Walsh word for me. It's spelled C W R W. Oh no. That's it. <laughs> Those are all the letters. <laughs> That's it. No vowels, my friend. This is Walsh. Oh yeah. I know. I know. I know. Um, Karish. One more time. Karish. <laughs> this one is Kuru. Oh, so the W's are U's? Kuru. Ah, Kuru. Yeah. And Sounds Kuru like... is the translation for what, Zach? Uh, it, it is the uh, the word to describe the uh, noise that an owl makes. Is incorrect. You set me up so perfectly for this. God bless you. It is what you're not drinking now because you're supping on a white claw. Kuru is beer. That, wow, I did set you up perfectly for that, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yep. Kuru. Kuru. Um, that is such Kuru. a harmless sounding word. It's a fun sounding word, right? And you say, Pinto Kuru, Oswalakona. That means a pint of beer, please. Oh my God, you sound like you are an elf in Lothlorien. <laughs> <laughs> All right, sir, get your own back. What do you got for me for 10 and 90? Okay, so I have three hypotheticals, two statistical ones. So Let's do it. Um, I'll let your mind run free. Okay, so first 10 and 90 question of the episode for me. Will the Newcastle transfer be done by June 15th? No. Okay. I don't Simple think it will be that. done by the 1st of July. Oh, Jesus Christ, I can't yep. do another month of this. But I'm just burying my head in the sand, like I said. No, no, thank you. Fair enough. Um, I'll notify you when it is done. Uh, <laughs> I wake up every morning expecting a text from somebody to tell me that it's happened because they're seven hours ahead. Never happens, so I'm just never, giving up. Never now. does. There you go. Um, okay, uh, question number two. If you were the, the owner of Newcastle and you could buy a, a former Newcastle player at the height of their career... Which player not named Alan Shearer would you buy? Ooh. So I'll give you my um, I'll give you my honest answer and I'll give you my sentimental answer. My honest answer is as good as Shearer was, Andy Cole, when he initially played for Newcastle, was phenomenal, dude. Was absolutely okay. amazing. Like so we need a goal scorer right now. Um, that that's that's who I'd pick. My my sentimental answer would be Gary Speed because he is my favorite Newcastle player of all time, um, and I think you know he brought a lot to the team. Um, but as far as where we would need help right now, if that, if that's what you're getting at, we need a goal mm-hmm. scorer. Um, Andy Cole gets the ball, scores a goal. Andy Andy Cole. There it is. It, yep. it rhymes for a reason. That's right. Um, all right, I like that. Uh, all right, cool. So question three, and this is the first of your uh, stat questions. Um, what was Massimiliano Allegri's winning percentage in his five seasons at Juventus? Oh, my God. I mean, it must be astronomically high, right? And, and, to, and to, give you, to give you a little bit of a reference point, in his whole career, Steve Bruce has had a winning percentage of about 34%. <laughs> Poor Steve Bruce. You gotta love him. He's like a sick puppy. Is indeed. But yeah. what what was Massimiliano Allegri's winning percentage in five seasons at Juventus? Sixty-eight percent. Seventy percent of matches. Ooh, that's he, pretty close. He, 
uh, that's remarkable. She was yeah. seven out of every ten matches were not even a draw, were a victory, which is just like astounding. Yeah, I mean, I, you you'd have that same winning percentage too if you played the Mackums every week, right? In this area. That's true. That's a good point. Uh, the Italian Mackums. Um, okay, uh, so on to question number four. We'll go back to hypothetical. Right at this exact moment, would you rather take Lionel Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo at Newcastle? At this specific moment? Yes. Um, Ronaldo. And why? Premier League pedigree. Um, I think overall, and again, need a goal scorer. I think Ronaldo historically is um, is somebody that has scored more goals. Um, I've never bought into Messi, to be perfectly honest. I think that, that he's blown it on no big... Sense. Um, it, I, I don't mean that I'm not a Messi fan by any means. I, I think that he's bottled it on occasions, both internationally and domestically with um, Barcelona. Um, I think that that winning mentality is far more prevalent in Cristiano Ronaldo, and I would love that at Newcastle. Right. Okay, I, I respect that answer. Um, uh, okay, and, and question number five, uh, which is the other statistical uh, question. So long before he was a manager, Steve Bruce was actually a very, very accomplished player in his time, mainly playing for Manchester United, as you obviously know. Mm-hmm. So I'll ask you this, Adam. Has Steve Bruce played or managed more matches in his career? Oh, that's a great question. 22 seasons managing didn't have 22 seasons as a player i'm gonna go with managing he has managed more matches so i i assumed you would get that correct but listen to this he has only managed 12 more matches than he has played managed 938 matches but played 926 in his career wow that's remarkable is that that including internationals i'm guessing as well yeah, well, he never played for England. He w- he has been recognized as one of the best players of all time, never to play Is for his country. Is that right? I, I didn't know that at all. Wow, that's incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, he was called, he played in the 80s and 90s. He was called probably the best player during that time to have never played for England. What a great topic that would be for a future pod. Like, best players to not play for their um, national teams. Yeah, that would, be, that, that would require an immense amount of research, but I do like that idea. Maybe we'll I love that, that idea. Are you kidding me? I love research. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Now you're speaking right, my so, language. Yeah, so so perhaps we'll do that next episode if we still don't have a Newcastle takeover to talk about. Cans. Cans, lad. Cans. All right. Well, uh, a pleasure as always, Adam. And uh, yeah, yeah, I think next episode will be the one where you will you'll be off the air, correct? I will. I'll be taking a little bit of a vacation, heading to visit family um, in Phoenix, Arizona. So. Uh, excited to see what you put on, Zach. Uh, I'll hopefully be on vacation listening to you and a guest of your choosing hosting the next pod. Yeah, there you go. It'll be it'll be me and Alan Shearer hosting the podcast. I there you go. In two weeks. Um, all right. Cool. Well, you know, Adam, as always, footy, footy.